a Podcast One production. Welcome to Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, the podcast where I speak to people about times they messed up and what they learned on their journey to success. A few years ago, my friend, we'll call her Janet, had a very kind offer from her dad to buy her a new laptop for her birthday. Off she went one day with her dad to the Apple shop where they told a very eager young shop assistant their interest in buying a computer that day. Keen to make a sale, the shop assistant enthusiastically began to demonstrate all of the functions and features that MacBook laptops have, plugging it into the big display monitor in the store so they could all see better. He asked for Janet's phone to demonstrate the wonders of cloud syncing, and before she knew it, he had begun transferring the photos on her iPhone to the laptop, including intimate photos she had been sharing with a boyfriend. And there they were, plastered all over the big display monitor. The shop assistant stopped mid-sentence. Her father also fell silent, but not Janet. She loudly blurted out, vagina photos, in alarm, pointing at the store monitor as a reflex and causing everyone in the store to turn around and look at the monitor also. Some mumbling, awkward shuffling and whispered discounts later, Janet walked away with one new computer and one shell-shocked dad. Win some, lose some. In this episode, I'll be talking to comedian, presenter and actor Cam Knight about Buddhism, sobriety and fascism. That's racism for hot people. I auditioned for this series on Channel 10 years ago called After the Deluge, right? And um, I auditioned for a lead role, but I didn't get it. I think Bob Franklin got it actually. But the director really liked me. Um, and he thought that I'd told a really wonderful story with my eyes, some shit, <laughs> while, I was, while I was down there. Um, anyway, <laughs> and he wanted me for this smaller role. So he cast me in this um, series and it was just this young soldier and he sent me all the brief and everything. It was tiny, like I didn't even have a lines, uh, any lines or anything, but um, he wanted it to be really moving and as poignant as... Um, like he sent me that photograph, that iconic photograph of that poor girl in Vietnam that's running naked. From the napalm. From the napalm. Yeah. And he was like, this is sort of what we're trying to capture. Um, and it wanted to be a really poignant scene like the girl in Schindler's List in the red dress, you know, because I come out of this sort of explosion and my clothes have been blown off me and off my hair. So I've like lost part of my head sort of thing and I'm coming out. And um, I have to come out of this explosion and I collapse into this lead actor's arms. Uh, he looks at me and he's just like, I'm sort of dying in his arms. And then another explosion goes off and then he looks back at me and I'm dead and he just sort of loses his mind a little bit. And so I was really, I wanted this to work, but the director's like, oh, we're only going to do one take of this scene because um, it's very expensive, lots of pyrotechnics and stuff. And they had all these, you know, when they do fake explosions, they put Pete in funnels. Not a guy, like, you know what I mean? Like muddy <laughs> yeah, pieces. Yeah, like stuff. Swamp poo, whatever. Yeah. And um, anyway, so I come out. I'm like, I've got to get this right. So I come out. Explosion goes off. I come out. I die in this guy's arms. Another explosion goes off. He looks back and I'm dead. Now, I was sort of really in it that I died, but I died with my mouth open. So all of this peat 
oh. stuff landed in my mouth, but I can't move. So I've got all this stuff in my mouth and I'm just like, oh, oh, oh. you know. <laughs> and then he finally yells out, cut. And I, I get put down on the ground. He lays me down on the ground. So I'm like dead on the ground. And then he yells out, cut. And I start spitting all of this stuff out of my mouth. Then I look down and, yeah, my whole tackle, everything had been hanging out the entire take. Like, oh, no. So my whole joke for that was like one take, my big chance at television, I, my mouth's full of shit and my dick's hanging out. Like that's <laughs> pretty much German porn at its finest. <laughs> Far out. It's very yeah. good. It's mm. very good. So they didn't do another take? No. Nah. I don't think even anyone noticed, which was a shame. I was like, what's wrong? No one saw my penis. <laughs> so I thought it added 10 pounds on camera. What's going on here? That's great. That's great. Far out. Fail! I could just extol your virtues and, and what I think you are, but I think oh, it's let's better. Let's do that. No, that would be interesting actually. So then I have an idea of what I look like to you. Okay. And then I can tell you how fundamentally wrong you are. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's perfect for this show. Sure. Right? One of the most talented actors I've ever worked with. Oh, that's lovely. Top improviser, like top, just a reliable, watchable, talented, fun on set workhorse. If anyone from Mulliners, Maura <laughs> Faye or Kirsty McGregor are listening to this, please take that on board. I'd love to see you in the casting room again soon. Thank you. Love you. Bye. So that's my impression, that's my impression of us working together. And when, and when I asked you to play the psycho um, um, Andrew version of Andrew Constance in the Fairy McFairy face sketch. Yeah, that was cool. Everyone, again, what you were mentioning, I... I knew what I was getting, but I was like, let's get Cam Knight and everyone assumes, oh, because of his look. Right. Okay. Right. And then when you get to show what you can do on the day, it just blows people away and people are surprised. And I don't know why they're surprised. They go, oh, oh holy shit, this is legit. I've been told for many years that I'm too good looking for comedy. I don't think that I'm good looking, but for some reason people seem to think, oh, you're good looking for comedy, I don't know, but you then because of that, A, can't be funny and B, can't be talented unless you are um, a home and away star or, you know, like a soap star sort of thing. Do you think maybe people have that thing where they look at you and they go, you haven't suffered? Yeah, yeah probably, but they have no fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Why? Because I have good skin. That's a kind of... um. Well, it's not racism, but it's like some kind of like... Facism. (laughs) (laughs) So that is. It's so weird. I think people think that if you have blue eyes and you have clean, clear olive skin uh, and you have nice hair or whatever and a good set of teeth, that the doors just get opened for you wherever you go. Which is... Bullshit. Like you get some doors open for you, but I think everybody gets doors open for them. It's what you do in that room once you've had that door opened that that counts. But um, I think there's been a lot of doors closed on me based on my look more than anything, like particularly in comedy. So, yeah, it's not like you don't get the keys to the executive toilet just because you've got an Aryan face. All right, like it's 2019. You sound like my Hitler brother. lost. <laughs> <laughs> my brother looks like he's straight out of the Hitler Youth. 
<laughs> right. It says that exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. Male privilege, what? What? <laughs> um, so can you pinpoint a time when you felt the happiest and most fulfilled in your career? About five years ago, I think I really sat down and tried to write a show differently to how I would normally write a show. Do you mean like a live show? Yeah, a live stand-up show. And I didn't know how that was going to go and it was called 100 Percenter. And I really put a lot of effort into that show. Um, And funnily enough, included in that show was it was based on the fact that I went to Thailand uh, in 2012 for a wedding with my wife and a bunch of other friends and I was there and got my Buddhist prophecy told, right? And so you go to this, there's a monk, there's this mummified monk who's in a glass box. You just, people go and look at this dead guy in a, in a glass box. He's, in a, he's sitting uh, legs crossed with his orange robe on, but he's, it's so, this is such a Thailand thing because his eyes are all, they're gone, they're hollowed out because they're not there anymore, but his skin's all on. So they don't his want sockets are there. His sockets are there, but they don't want you to look at the mummified monk's sockets. So typically Thailand, they've put a pair of five dollar Ray Bans on his face. <laughs> <laughs> so you can just walk up to bloody monk Fonzie, and then you oh, go and man. you go and get this prophecy, and you've got this tube, and it's filled with sticks, and you've got to shake the tube uh, in front of this other guy another monk and one of the sticks will fall out and there's a number on the stick and then that number correlates to one of the prophecies on the wall. So it's pretty random. Uh, And my prophecy said that my life would be nothing but struggle uh, as if I am an oarsman stuck um, in a river trying to go upstream. And I was just, I was like, why is that even Screw an option? Screw you, Buddha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just I got in my, my little moped that I'd hide and did a half-ass burnout on my way out. <laughs> but it was – and I so I sat down and um, wrote this show uh, based on that and trying to look back on failings and why things hadn't worked and how come being, you know, working on Foxtel for five years didn't lead me to become as – Notable as Osher Gunsberg, who was at, you know at V at the same time. Like, what did I? Where were my missteps? Like, what did I do wrong? Why did why did working at Foxtel that not lead to you know wasn't a stepping stone to an illustrious television career and more of a you know a doorway into a call center? You know what I mean? Like, it was one of those things that I was like, what is it about me that it's I did you. I do something wrong and yeah. all of those things? So I wrote a show on it. I wrote a show about it. Uh, about that and me trying to just live in the now and enjoy what I have in front of me but made it funny. Um, Which in a weird way is a Buddhist thing too. Yeah, it was. So it was very Buddhist. So I did this sort of Buddhist – there was a Buddhist ideology throughout the whole thing I guess. Um, And anyway, so I did that show not knowing how it was going to go in Adelaide and I got my first five-star review in the advertiser and that – was insane. Like I was, I felt really happy at that point. Like I've, I remember we were at a barbecue and uh, John Brooks came up to me and he said, you got a five-star review. And I was like, what the, what? And then went online and saw it and then just went, hang on, excuse me. And went to the public toilet (laughs) and 
just sat in this very smelly public toilet and just cried. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then was like, oh, what God. am I going to do? What do I do? I don't know what to do about this. I just had that, you know, and oh, it's I'm not like cry. it wasn't, but it didn't, you know, it was a weird thing. Like I, it's like things go great, good, 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 and then nothing. Right. And so it was like, oh, what? Usually with all of that hoopla, something happens. And this felt different. This felt different. This show felt different. So then it became work again. So I was like, okay, you can't be happy for too long. I have to go back and write another show. I have to back this up. So I did. You know, so it's like, okay, what, maybe next time. And But it's like you've got to stop thinking like maybe next time because then you stop, you miss out on enjoying what you're doing at the, at the time that you're doing it. Like, yeah, there's been certain gigs where I've just gone, oh, that felt good. That felt right. There was one in Singapore one night was doing a gig and then everyone killed. Like it was just one of those ones where you could go, bleh, and the whole room would just go (laughs) insane. Yes. You could just do no wrong, you know. And we all did over time. We all did like 45 minutes and just crushed. And I had never done gigs outside of Australia before. This was like eight years ago. And I just saw, I walked off stage shell-shocked and then had to go, I went into the green room by myself and I was just looking at myself in the mirror going, I think you can do this. I think, <laughs> so good. I think we can do this, dude. <laughs> it's so weird. No, yeah. it's not weird. It's, it's the reason you could probably keep going, man, have yeah, talks yeah. with yourself. Yeah, yeah. In green rooms and public toilets. Like, totally. you know, like that's probably the reason that you're like, nah, just keep going. Yeah. Well, I just have had a lot of no's, you know. You get a lot of no's and you yeah. don't know if you're worthy and – all of that sort of stuff. I was sort of I was writing new material about this. I did this during the fringe this year. And I was like, I hate, I'd not hate, I just don't like the fact that um you are fed this bullshit online, you know, with inspirational quotes. Like you can go and achieve your dreams, go out and reach out and give your life a you know, fucking hug, or there's no such thing as no, is one that drives me up the wall. Cause I said I'm in the entertainment business. Like my my whole life is no. I came from a country town of less than a thousand people and I wasn't going to be a farmer. So I left home at 17. And you can't tell me that that's been all gravy out of home at 17. Like I went and studied acting and I got kicked out of that class. I lasted halfway. Like I only finished half the course. So that's my first no. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do in my life moved to Melbourne at 19, didn't know anybody and then just hit the ground running, like just trying to find somewhere that I fit, you know, while being told no, while not being around family. And it's how I deal with that no and then move forward. Like I can't subscribe to there's no such thing as no. Like I auditioned for Home and Away two weeks ago and I did a great test but I didn't book it. But I can't rock up next the week later just There's out on no set. There's no such thing as no, yeah. guys. Hey, Alf, you flaming mongrel. He's like, who are you? You're not on the call sheet. Yeah, there's no such thing as no, baby. Like I'd never work in this town again. So it's that sort of bullshit. I think in entertainment particularly where I think you got to go, all right, that's a no for now, but but maybe it's not a no for me forever. Like I have to sort of stay 
I think, you know, you've got to go around the no. Can you describe a time when you feel like you hit your lowest point? Oh, the rock bottom. Mate. I don't think it's stopped. I don't, right. I'm still thinking. I thought I hit it and then I think I've dug through and found another cavity. <laughs> They say that. They go, if you think you think a cavity. If you it's think a secret you, compartment. The, it was the Masons built it. Only a few of us had privy to. Seventeen hundreds to hide gold. I went down there, there's nothing there. Um, That's what they say that if you think you've hit the rock bottom, then there's all you can always fall lower. Well, it's funny because I, I you know, I Stopping drinking two and a half years ago, they always say, you know, you when was where was your rock bottom? And it's like I didn't, I don't think that I stopped drinking when I hit my rock bottom. Like I'd stopped drinking because because my wife asked me to. Like I didn't think that I had a problem with it. You know, um, I thought I was very good at it, um, and so I stopped. And it wasn't until about three or four months into that, that I fell apart. Like I went and did all the festivals and I did Melbourne, all of Melbourne on my own. And um, as soon as that finished, like I just fell in a heap. Like I was exhausted and I had a chest infection. And But you kept it up? You didn't have a secret drink? You kept it up? No, that's I was amazing. the whole that's time. Amazing. So like, and, but when I got home, I was just this shell. Like I literally felt like I don't know what's going on. I don't know if this is burnout or I've never had depression before or anything like that, but it was kind of like I need to sort this out um, and went and saw my GP about it and and they're very quick to just flick, a, flick an antidepressant at you. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I gave it a red hot. I gave it a go for a year. It wasn't my th- cup of tea. Uh, really didn't work for me in any way. Uh, made it Made things worse actually made my thoughts darker um you know and so I went and I was like I gotta stop this I don't like what I'm thinking these are really this is very negative stuff um and went and uh saw a proper psychiatrist and did a full psych evaluation test and and that was in November last year and um and so, like, it's I've discovered at 43 years of age, and this is funny because whenever I say this, people go, oh, yeah, no shit, but, oh, well, I just worked it out. <laughs> uh, I've got ADD or AD, adult ADHD. Right. Um, and now that's being treated properly, accordingly, and things have been a lot better for me mentally, um, which has been great. But it was after that, yeah, it was like what was it, 2017 I think it was, that I, yeah, that was a real dark point. I feel like that was the rock bottom. When I spoke to mum and dad about it, you know, dad was like, well, yeah, we kind of always wondered, but, you know, my dad was a pharmacist so he kind of didn't want to put me on anything, funnily enough. Um, Can sell it but don't get high on your own supply, dad. I don't know. Amazing, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I wasn't allowed any sugary foods. I never drank Coca-Cola. I was never allowed raspberry drinks or red snakes or um, anything red. Uh, Made me go, go, go. Um, And so and I think when you look back on school and behaviour stuff in school and all of this sort of stuff, the frustration that I felt, uh, the problems that I had, at school, like I was on behavioural, I was on behavioural uh, programs 
So I had to get the teachers to sign how I was every class. How was he today? And get it signed off and then go at the end of the week, go and see the counsellor and they had to say what I needed to work on. Oh, but Cameron's never suffered. Anyway, so um, and then <laughs> I got booted out of high school as well. Like I went to, I went to, I got expelled from a school and I was on a behavioural program But you looked school. like such a good boy. I looked like I would have just been a straight-A student. No, I was, I was troubled, troubled. Um, yeah, so when I look back on all of that now and spoke to Dad about it, I was like, man, it makes so much sense. So when you do all the reading on it and talk to the, you know, professionals about it, like, oh, man, Dad was – and then Dad said, yeah, we kind of always wondered. And I said, you know how much bother you could have saved me? <laughs> <laughs> but there's no going back. There's only going forward. Here we go. You know, right? We worked it out. So what do you do? Um, but I think it's it has definitely contributed to substance abuse, alcohol abuse, um, unease, uh, social unease, and it has. I think probably it's probably why I'd been seen as a bit rowdy in my twenties and whatnot. But I we went through that too. Stay out. Stay out. Keep the party Keep going. going. Just, yeah, I was a real fun chaser. I think that was why I called that show 100%er as well because I was just like, I need to, I'm going to die. I need to do everything now, immediately, all of it, shove all of the things in me, have all of the experiences immediately, go, 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 go. Mm. And now, you know, you kind of wake up to that and go, oh, man, if I keep doing that, I'll probably die. My biggest mistake um, yeah, I think my biggest mistake was probably in my 20s, just letting um, drugs and alcohol get in the way of, of um, what I was capable of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I identify uh, a lot with that. And I think that I squandered an opportunity uh, because of that. I think that um, things might have gotten a, been a lot better for me um, when I had that opportunity at Foxtel if I was sober then. I think I'd be doing a lot better. But, but who, who is? Yeah. But I, but I didn't know and I was, you know, in my head, this is the thing that I've come to terms with as well. Like you now looking back on that, you go far out. Like when we were growing up, like all of our heroes are drug addicts and alcoholics and it's this real, yeah, it's a party. We all have to do this or, oh, I'm so sad. I'm going to kill my tortured artist. You can't be a happy artist. You got to be a tortured artist, and except for um, Jerry Seinfeld, yeah, right. Or That's the Adam only Hills one. is like yeah. joy monger, yeah. but everyone else is like, "Well, oh, I have to just really bleed for my art." And so you really sort of wrap yourself up in that bullshit, and you think that you're going to be more creative um, by f- going down this dark path with alcohol and drugs, whereas it's not the case. Like it's just not true. It is going to make you worse off particularly when you've got a young mind that's trying to absorb the world around them and is still growing and um, I feel like it brought out the worst version of me, you know, and now I'm at a point where I'm looking back going, you dummy. But I can't, you know, look what, I had a great time. That's right. But I did, I know that I, I know that doors were closed because of behaviours and okay. I feel like now I'm still trying to convince people or wedge that door back open again. It's, I think there's certain parts of my job where people are like, oh, you were a, you know, you're a party animal or a functioning alcoholic and I'm, and I'm now at that point where I have to try and prove that otherwise. 
So usually if things were going bad, you can just sort of distract yourself, go out, drink, whatever, ah, shrug it off, get pissed, wake up, copy, paste, repeat. And, um, and I think you can really spiral down further and further that way. Doing it this way is way, is very hard. It's quite difficult because, um, I have to live life on life's terms because I can't just go, oh, I feel anxious about a certain thing or this is really a very sad thing that's happening to me right now. Um, you know, what would fix this is, you know, a couple of Valium and a bottle of red. Um, it would really take the edge off, but I know where that would go for me. Like I know that it wouldn't be just a one-off thing for me. You know what I mean? I'm like, I have to stop that. So now no, I'm I, the same. So I get it. So with this, it's like, okay, well, I feel this way about something. I have to not, not, I just have to not focus on it really. It's not ignoring it, but it's just got recognizing that it's happening. Um, breathing through it, meditating. You can say a mantra to yourself if you want or whatever, listen to some music, um, just sit in it and then know that it will pass like everything else does and uh, and something else will come along that will make you feel better. You know, like it's just I just get one foot in front of the other and um, hope that it leads somewhere better than where I'm feeling. You know, I can't – there's no escape other than, oh, well, I feel pretty bad right now. Now I have to just sit in it for a bit. You something know? you're describing to me is actually like a like a – it's a spiritual practice as a, I think it's a Buddhist practice. Mm. What Exactly what you just said to me. R, is, it's RAIN. The acronym is RAIN. Mm. So R is recognise what's mm. going on. A, um, allow or accept or like you said, sit in it, yep. allow it. Recon- okay, this <clears throat> is going on. Allow it to happen. Don't push it away. Yeah. Investigate. Why am I? Why is this happening? Mm. Why am I getting this feeling again? Yeah, you, know, you could just be sitting on a piece of Lego, you know. Like yeah. it might not. <laughs> yeah. Why do I feel bad? Ah, oh, this brick is up my ass. Lego, man. Or it could be something else. My yeah. mum used to vacuum up Lego. She wouldn't even, she's like, yeah, they left it on the floor. It's gone. Um, but, yeah, investigate. And then investigate. And then the N is nourish. Your pep talk in the green room. Oh, yeah, right. <clears throat> Recognise, allow, investigate, nourish. Just tell yourself it's going to be all right. It's not you. It's not your fault. It's going to be all right. Yeah. So that process is exactly what you're describing to me now, which is in the absence, which I learned to do in the absence of alcohol, mm. cigarettes, drugs, food. I was in hospital about to have back surgery and it was nil by, by mouth and all my vices are suddenly not allowed. <laughs> so I finally listened to this this thing that my friend had told me about and then that's what it told me to do and I was like, oh, my God, how much have I been avoiding over the years? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Like I always felt like I was quite an impatient person. Like I wanted all of the things to happen to me all of the time immediately, must have success, do all of this now. And same, now same. I'm like realising just how much patience I seem to have. After 20 years of this, when is it going to happen? I'm, I'm way more patient and accepting and am able to, yeah, to do that, to recognise and accept and... Uh, usually I don't need to investigate. Like I kind of get it. Like I already know. It's familiar. Then, yeah, it is. I'm like, okay, this is because of that. Um, and I'm not one of those people that's always like, things can only get better. You know, I'm not like, I don't know. I fit. It might not. They, everyone always says, 
it gets better. Everything will always get better. And I'm like, when? How do you know that? It might get worse and I'm still going to be here and I'm just going to have to get on with that as well. Um, but I will find things. I will. F- there will be pockets of enough joy to keep me interested. Plus I've got kids. I can't go anywhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like I need to see that that through. I yeah. want to see that through. I like living through vicariously through their new experiences and their joy and seeing how one just just how much you know of life uh, amuses them or confounds them and baffles them and their firsts you know when they're like oh my god what the heck you know they just sort of lose their minds I'm like yeah, the world's pretty cool, you know. I'm this this dark old cynic that's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, man. Yeah, the plane flies. They're <laughs> like, that is a bus with no wheels and it floats. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it is. That's pretty cool, actually. You're right. It's now that you pointed gravity. out, yes. <laughs> yeah. Aww. It's those things that you go, all right. So things might get better, <clears throat> but there'll be enough. There's enough around. That should be a bit. Is that a bit already? What? The, what the kid sees? Oh, no. No, I haven't. It's funny. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. I'd have to. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll write that down. I overthink about it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's carrying around their own stuff. Yeah, man. yeah. You know, you can't escape it. No one's had a free ride. No one has escaped pain. No one's escaped heartache. No one has suffered loss. Like, you know, we have all suffered in some way and it has it has shaped who we are. Like that's just, you can't go, that person was born with a silver spoon in their mouth. They've had everything. They must be happy. As, you know, it's it's crazy. But some people have had them a lot better than us. Hey, man. Hey, man. If Jamie Packer can get depressed, you know. You poor guy. He did have a pretty tough dad. Yeah. It would have been hard to be around Jamie Packer's dad. Right. Kerry would have been a full on. He would have ruled that house with an iron fist. Can you imagine what that would have been like? And also to grow up in that shadow. Oh, my God. It's Trump, man. You know? Yeah, it would be really difficult to try and make something of yourself behind that such an iconic human being. It's like better to come from nothing, yeah. I reckon. Yeah. And then work your way up. Come from nothing. Yes. Come from a small country town of less than a thousand people. High casting, I'm still available. Anybody out there? (laughs) (laughs) They will end it there. (laughs) Thanks for listening. To share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook or Twitter at Greta Lee Jackson. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson is presented by me and recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes of Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, download the Podcast One app or look me up on Apple Podcasts.